0: Okay, well, it's great to be finishing off our series looking at Paul's letter to the Philippians this morning. And uh, so that's what we're going to do. I wonder how you feel when you give people money. And I suppose the main thing that affects how you feel when you give people money is who that person is and why you are giving them the money. When you give someone a parking fine, as in you pay a parking fine, I don't imagine anyone feels particularly joyful about that. No one thinks to themselves, it's great the streets of Edinburgh are by and large being kept safe by these parking permits and so I'm so pleased that i paid my fine right now. No one really feels that, do they, I imagine. When you're maybe paying uh, for a bus, you don't really think about it at all, other than the fact that it's now just changed and all those 50p's you collected, you only need to add some 10p's to it in order to keep going. You just don't, you don't, you're not like, bus driver, thank you so much. Um, Apart from if you've got small children with you, when obviously you tell the children to say thank you to the bus driver. And uh, if you've been well brought up, maybe you still do that when you grow up. But you're not really thinking about it. You just think, well, this is a polite interaction. I need to say, thanks very much. Money gone, take me to where I need to go. I don't suppose anyone really particularly enjoys paying taxes, although they certainly don't make a big song and dance of doing so, uh, despite the fact that it obviously provides so much of what we take for granted around us all the time. But no one says, this is great. I'm going to give my money away, as it were, to the government. No one really feels that. On the other hand, if you're maybe going to a show or you're going to see a film or some event that you've been really looking forward to, you almost can't give your money away quickly enough. You're like, here you go. I don't care. This is exciting. There's a whole bunch of different things we feel given who we're giving to and why we're giving and what we think is going to happen because of that giving. I want to talk to you this morning about what happens when we give to God and his kingdom because I think a load more happens than most of us are aware of. I'm going to talk about some things that you'll be like, well, that's what I thought, and other things that may surprise you. Things that happen in heaven, things that happen on earth, and things that happen in you. And so we're going to read Philippians uh, chapter 4 from verses 14 all the way through to the end. And Paul has been talking about the fact that the Philippians sent him a gift. I'll speak more about that in a moment. But this is what he says, Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, which is the region uh, the Philippi is in, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. But I have received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, So that's how Paul signs off. Those last couple of lines are a uh, classical letter formulation that he's Christianized. Uh, but the bit before, interestingly enough, interestingly enough, is the motivation for Paul to have written this letter in the first place. So he planted the church in Philippi about 10 years before he wrote this letter. He was on what we call one of his missionary journeys. He felt called by God to move into this region of Macedonia and just basically went looking for people he could tell. About Jesus, who could tell the gospel to this good news that he had heard and encountered for himself, that Jesus, having been crucified, was now alive and therefore uh, revealed to be the Lord of all. Uh, God come down to earth, offering us the hope of salvation, reconciliation to God and with one another. And Paul basically spent his life telling people about that. And so he goes to Philippi and he finds some people, and a woman called Lydia, a businesswoman. Uh, she becomes a Christian, she opens her house and says, Paul and your team, come and stay with us. And then one day they're walking through Philippi and there's a slave girl there and that Paul uh, heals her. And she's set free from her slavery. Well, her slave owners don't like that at all. And so they get Paul and uh, Silas, I think it is, thrown in prison. But God doesn't want them in prison. So he gets them out and, in, and busts them out in such a spectacular way that the jailer and all his family become Christians as well. And by then it's about time Paul thinks, okay, I'm going to move on. But what's happened in just that short period of time is that a community of believers has formed, a little bit like what you've already heard of today. They've been formed and they love each other and they love Paul. And Paul says, right, I'm on my way. And they say, oh, well, we're sad, but excited because obviously other people need to hear about that. Paul, we want to help you as you go. We want to support you. And um, Paul isn't necessarily hugely keen on this. Because there are a couple of things at stake. In the ancient world, there were a lot of um, wandering teachers, shall we call them, who went from city to city, town to town, had a lot of rhetorical skill, and were very good at teaching people to give them money. And that's basically what they did. And Paul thinks, the last thing I want anyone to think of me is that I'm like them. He isn't going around, as he says elsewhere, peddling the gospel. It's like, I'm not saying, Jesus loves you, give me your cash. I'm not saying that at all. And the other thing he's very keen not to have happen is that people say to him, well, Paul, I mean, we are paying for you, so we'd really like it if you did a bit more of this and a bit less of that. Paul is God's man. No one else gets to set Paul's agenda. And so he's anxious that they're not become that kind of patron-client relationship between him and the Philippians. But the fact is, they love him and they want to help him. And so they're like, well, whatever it is, that's fine. We want to help you. So he gets to Thessalonica, which is about 95 miles west of Philippi, and they send him gifts. They're like, we're so excited you've made it Thessalonica. Here's some, here's some support. Then he goes further south into Corinth, and it's a big city. And obviously he's kind of run out of money. And so what does he do? He works. Uh, he meets a couple of people there called Priscilla and Aquila. They make tents. It just so happens that Paul's career before he became a Christian was also making tents. And so he works with them. And Acts 18 tells us about that. It says they were working together, making tents. And then it says that uh, Timothy and Silas came from Macedonia, which is where Philippi is, and so Paul then devoted himself fully to preaching the gospel. And he says about this to the Corinthians themselves, actually later on in 2 Corinthians 11. He says, I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. And when I was with you and in need, I did not burden anyone. For the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need. And so that's, the, that's a kind of interweaving of Acts and Philippi, Philippians and Corinthians. And, and, and Paul was able to be released uh, to preach. And so he did a load for, uh, I think, another 18 months or so in Corinth. Ten years later, many more journeys, many more churches, much more trouble. Paul is under house arrest in Rome. And the Philippians hear about this and they think, We love Paul. He's under house arrest. That can't be good. Let's send him a gift. And he gets this gift. It's sent by a leader called Epaphroditus. And when Paul gets the gift, he's so overjoyed at their love for him and what this means about them and him and all of them and God together that he writes the letter to the Philippians that we now have. And it's an amazing thing to see because the reason Paul writes to them is they gave him a gift. And we've had. Three and a half chapters of amazing theology and joy and love. And Paul finally is like, oh, and the gift that you sent. His instinctive response isn't to say thanks a lot for the money because that's not really what his priority is. His priority is his love of God and the joy and the amazing nature of all that God has done. And so he's writing about this, writing about this, and then he's like, I'm finishing this letter. I better say thanks. And so he does. And what he does as he does this, is he tells us some of the things that can happen when we give to God's kingdom. Now, giving is never a theoretical thing. Giving is always a practical topic, and so we're going to talk practically. Uh, last month, we um, published our annual financial report as a church. And uh, if you didn't get a chance to read it, let me give you the headlines. We're a really generous church, and God's doing great things amongst us. Loads of them. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. I want to thank you on behalf of the elders, those of you who are part of Kings and who give, uh, for your generosity, uh, for your trust in us, and the fact that you're involved in so many ways. You give, you pray, you serve, and we do all these things together. It's wonderful. And the report is full of some of the ways in which uh, that is happening. If you didn't know, um, this church is entirely autonomous. We don't get financial support or help from anywhere else. We're self-sufficient, as it were. There's no outside organization backing us up. And obviously that means that everything we do, even if it seems free, does cost. So this building that you're in this morning, which has been well-heated and well-decorated and is still standing, um, all those things take money and and effort. And it's the same when we have hosted study space in here for the last three weeks. If you came in here Monday to Friday, the silence in this room uh, was phenomenal as uh, students, we, we set the room up for students to study here and also downstairs uh, in another room for them to have a bit of a break as well. Well, that cost money, but we put it on for free because we wanted to welcome people in so that they could study. Uh, we run the night shelter here in association with Bethany Christian Trust. We're one of the places where homeless people can get a safe night's sleep and a good meal and a change of clothes if they need. And that happens several times over the course of the winter here. Of course, that's free, but it's paid for. We're on Alpha courses here so that people can hear the good news about Jesus. They can explore it for themselves, ask their questions and hear and work these things out. And of course that's free, but of course it's paid for. And all these things are happening all the time right here in this building. And that's just what's ongoing. That's just what's happening right now. Expansion is always on our agenda. We're never like, well, this is going well, let's keep doing it. We say, well, this is going well, let's keep doing it, and what else is there for us to do? What else is God calling us uh, to get involved in, and how much is that going to cost? It's just how you plan. If you're involved in planning in any shape or form, you know that's what you have to do. And so that's what we're doing. We're excited that there's going to be a church planted into West Lothian, that that process is up and running already. And what that means is one of the things we're sending is a lot of great people. They're on the move already, many of them, to Livingston and surrounding towns and areas. They are, they're going and making that happen, and we're connected to them in that. Our outreach and social action is increasing over the past year, I think, just like never before. We're doing more and more because we're able to do more and more because we've got more and more. We've been increasing our staff. We've taken on uh, Gordon Rouse part-time to pioneer our youth work. And so he's now working with young people in the local school. We're inviting young people into this building uh, to run again a free, that costs um, weekly Hub 104 youth event uh, for them, taking care of our young people as well. Uh, We've increased uh, George's hours so that he can make amazing videos uh, like he has done for us uh, these last few weeks. We've increased Chris's hours so that he can do more of the admin, so that us as elders, and particularly Dan, can do more of the eldering, as it were. All of these things are expansion. All of them are increasing our capacity, increasing what we're able to do, increasing what God is calling us to do, and it all takes money. And by our calculations, it's going to take an extra £2,000 a month or so. And so um, part of the purpose of the report is to say, here's what's happening, and here's what's hap- going to happen next, and we'd love for you to be involved. But here's the thing. So this could, might, might sound a little bit like, it's like, well, this is a very smooth pitch, or, or a less than smooth pitch. I don't know what you think. <laughs> here's the thing. If we had a billionaire benefactor who was bankrolling everything we were doing, I would still want you to give. I'd still want you to experience the joy and the grace of giving because the number of things that happen when you give are startling and I want to show you all about them today. You know how often an annual report will say here's where your money went. There's usually a pie chart or something like that. Well today I want to show you what Paul says in Philippians 4 happens to your money when you give to God's kingdom. And there are six things So we're going to go through them pretty quickly. And the first of them is this, the obvious one, the one that most people would think of, the kingdom advances. So when we're talking about what we're doing as a church, we're saying more people are able to hear about Jesus. We're able to touch more people with God's love. We're able to uh, reach out, we're able to share, we're able to care. We're able to do all these things. It's the kingdom of God advancing. And that was the deal for Paul as well. He's able to say, I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied. Now, he makes it clear to them he wasn't thinking a huge amount about his practical circumstances, but he's now not got, he doesn't have to think about it at all now. It's like, guys, thank you so much. I'm well supplied. All I, can get, I can give all my concentration now to what I was doing before, which even though I'm in chains, is preaching the gospel and telling people about Jesus and inviting them in and um, sharing with them. And the Philippians, he's saying, like, we're in a partnership with this. Now, because Paul's an amazing leader, he's kind of able to do this whatever happens. So when he's making tents in Corinth, he's able to say to people, look, I'm not after your money. I'm, I, you know, this is for free. This is free good news. I'm working so that I can tell you about Jesus. But equally, when he's supplied, he's then able to give all his time to doing it. So Paul's really able to do you know, whatever happens, Paul says, I can advance the kingdom. But this he says, thank you. I'm well supplied. I'm able to do what I want to do which is to tell people the most important news, the greatest thing, the thing that all of us have to deal with, that God exists, that he made us, that we have sinned against him, that we need to be reconciled to him, that going our own way has had disastrous consequences and has a terrible ending, but God can interrupt our lives by the grace and the hope of Jesus, that by giving himself for us on the cross, Jesus made a way for us to be reconciled to God, to be forgiven of our sins because he took the punishments that we wouldn't have to and we can now know the life, the transforming power of God by his Holy Spirit in us now and forever in joy in eternity with him. Everything we do as a church is to that end, that people might hear it. As we worship this morning, as we shared uh, those words and as we prayed, that's what we were asking God to do bring the greatest news, the greatest hope, the greatest need to our city and to our nation and to the nations. Everything we do as a church is about this. And so, when you give to the church, you give to that. People, facilities, ministries, all require money in order to make them happen. They require a lot more than that. And that's why we pray and we serve as well. But they do require money. And so, the first thing that happens when you give is the kingdom of God is advanced. Now, for most people, that would be the only motivation. That would be the thing that they would talk about the whole time. Um, if, a, if you're a charity, you say, Look at all the great things we're doing. Please give. But the kingdom of God's better than that. And God is better than that. God is able to do so many things all at once. And so we're going to go on to the second thing that happens. And it's this, that relationships are strengthened. When you give into the church, relationships are strengthened. Now, this is a key point for Paul, but it's a little unusual for us. So let's try and work this out. All the way through the passage we've just read, he's been talking about this. In verse 14, he says, "'It was good of you to share in my trouble.'" The word share also kind of literally means have fellowship in. So he's like, you guys, you totally had fellowship with me. You shared with me in my trouble. You didn't just help me in it, you shared in it. In verse 15, he says, We're a partnership. Whether they're together or apart, we're a partnership. In verse 17, he says to them, I'm not seeking the gift, I'm seeking the fruit that increases to your account. Paul's like, I don't really care about the money you've given me, except what it means for you. He says in verse 19, My God, and then in verse 20, Our God. Look, this profound relationship we have with each other and with God. And obviously finishes the letter saying, greet every saint and all the brothers greet you. And when you read through the whole letter to Philippians, you just see it again and again and again. Paul's like, we are together in this. And the giving is one of the ways in which they were united. There's, a, there's something in God when you give to his purposes, you are, you are sharing with, you are connecting with those to whom you are giving. And so there's a relationship that isn't a professional kind of financial, well, I've given this much, therefore you need to do that for me. It's, It's not like that at all. But the Bible says where your treasure is, your heart will be also. And so when you give to the church, you are giving something of your heart to it. And as that happens, you then kind of think, you just see people who you are paying for, and you see ministries that are being paid for, and your heart is connected with those things. And so, to be honest, if at the moment one of the things happening for you is you just don't feel that connected, one of the ways in which that might change is if you gave. It's not the only thing, but it is a way. Because God unites us to the things actually that we give to. And that's a high risk strategy when you give poorly, but it's a great risk strategy when you give wisely to good things. He uses this phrase giving and receiving. And that's actually a uh, Greco-Roman term for friendship. That would be a uh, that's a term we've seen in other ancient letters and stuff like that. That says, well, this is this is kind of what friendship is. It's giving and receiving, and that does sound a little bit uh, mercenary. But when you think about friendship, there is certainly that aspect of you. You know, you are friends with someone because you. There, there is a sense of you know, it's my turn, it's your turn. You receive, I receive. This is good. We're, we're connected. There's a it's two way. This isn't that I do everything for you or you do everything for me. It's not a relationship like that. It's a togetherness. It's a a two-way street, as it were. But obviously the danger of something like that, and this is what happened in the culture that Paul was writing to, is that one-upmanship comes in pretty quickly because someone gives a slightly larger gift than the other one gave last time and then someone holds a slightly larger banquet than the other one held last time and, and gradually this thought process comes in of kind of like, well, I keep giving this and you just keep giving that. Is there a danger that that could happen for us? Well, I think there could be. If you've ever been embarrassed at a meal where you think, oh, I haven't brought you anything, I'm sorry. Or if you're like, who am I going to get birthday presents for this year? Well, who got me birthday presents last year? And let's kind of try and work it out um, through that. There are kind of a, quite a few ways in which we can start to think that way. The kind of, well, they did this for me, so I need to do that for them. Or, well, they didn't do that for me, so I certainly won't be doing that for them. The gospel totally destroys that. The gospel gives you no scope to think that way. Because in the gospel, at the foot of the cross, we're all the same height. We all have exactly the same need, which is to be forgiven by Jesus. So there can't really be any sense of obligation to one another when you're totally obliged to Jesus. But there's actually something even more in here. So Paul talks about this giving and receiving. And he says, I mean, guys... I obviously can't give you anything. As you may have noticed, I'm I'm on a house arrest. I can't give you anything, but I know someone who can. And this is the third thing that happens when we give. God provides. Verse 19, my God, Paul says, will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now, almost all the time, the Bible says, don't put God to the test. You can't kind of do things saying, well, let's see if you're here, God, or not. The Bible says don't do that, except in giving. Micah 3, verse 10, God says, Bring the full tithe, that's the offering, into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test. Says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. It's an extraordinary thing that God doesn't just say, you know how usually I say, don't put, to, put me to the test, well, you can do it in this way. He says, put me to the test in this way, it's amazing. Giving is an act of faith. When you give because you're trusting God, you are entering into a relationship with him, you're entering into a dynamic with him that isn't just like, well, they asked me to, so fine. No, you say, God, here it is. At which point God says, great, I can work with that can work with you in that. It brings you into involvement with God. And that means, therefore, that when you receive blessings, whatever they may be, you don't just kind of have them in your hand and think, oh, that's nice. You think, oh, that's you. It's an amazing change. And it, to be honest, it's been one of the most uh, profound things in my life, developing my faith in God, uh, this deepening of our relationship that comes as I, I don't try to outgive him because I can't. But there certainly was a time where I was like, God, I'm raising the stakes a little bit. Let's see how that goes. And God's like, Well, here's a massive blessing in return. And there you go. I'm always going to win. And <laughs> but that dynamic was something I had to learn. For a while, I was like, you know, it, 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 it was a very practical way of working out my faith. I just saw it. It happened a lot. And this isn't just material. It's a, it's a deepening of a relationship with Him. But God often uses things that we value to get our attention and then wants to take us through to something else. And so if it's kind of money, you're like, well, God, I gave this much money. And like, Whoa, hang on. Where did this come from? Oh, this was you. You gave this to me. Yes, I've actually got something better for you than just some money, but that's a start. Got your attention now. Paul's able to say so confidently, my God will meet every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. That's an astonishing statement. That's, I mean... Is the kind of thing that you feel, as a, particularly as a preacher, you need to put like a little asterisk and a little footnote and just be like, just be careful about this. And partly you do need to do that, because some people take this to mean that God's going to give you an amazing, lavish lifestyle right now. You know, like Jesus had. Mm. <laughs> like Paul, who's writing to the Philippians in prison, had. Mm. But you've got to hold both those things at once. Paul said, my God will give you everything you need. And Paul's actually said of himself, I have everything I need. You're like, Paul, you are in prison. You don't have a house. You don't have any clothes apart from the clothes you're wearing. You've got barely anything. Paul's like, I've got everything I need, thank you. And that's what God promises to provide, everything you need. Now, what that might look like isn't necessarily everything you want. But our Father is a generous Father. God is a generous God. He is not stingy. He is not tight. He is not running out of cash. He's not running out of provision for you, whatever that may be. And so when you give in faith, you're engaging him on this point. It's not a quid pro quo. It's not a cash machine. God, I typed in the code of generous giving. Therefore, come on. It's not how it works. But there is a back and forth. There is a relationship, there's a relationship-faith dynamic in that moment. And some of you just think, I don't feel necessarily as close to God as I want to. This could be a major way in which that changed for you. It It absolutely was for me. So there's a provision in the here and now. But then Paul takes us even further. He says, here and now is all very well, but it's going to end. He also talks about eternal Rewards in verse 17, so our fourth thing eternal rewards. Verse 17, I seek the fruit that increases to your credits. Paul says, Now, what does that mean? Well, it was a term that seems to have an association with compound interest. So he's saying, I'm looking to see the thing that's going to generate interest that at a later point you get to receive from, you get to be blessed by. And usually, whenever Paul's talking about what's next, he's talking about what's next. We see what he says about the rich in 1 Timothy 6. We get some clarity on this. He says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may... Take hold of that which is truly life. Paul's saying they can be rich now or they can be rich then. It's up to them. Jesus said the same thing. He said, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. People get very angry about the mega rich. And when they're being unjust and when they're using their power and influence to abuse others, I get angry about them too. But I think one of the reasons people get really angry with them is because they've got lots of money. And everyone wants lots of money. And Paul has a very different perspective to that. And there can be that thing, a combination of a righteous anger, but let's be honest, there's some jealousy. I mean, obviously, I wouldn't want that much, wouldn't need that much, of course not, but some of it would be helpful. Every one of us one day is gonna stand before God. And we're gonna give an account to him of what we've done with what he gave us, whether we're a Christian or not. And that makes me not feel angry that there are people with loads and loads of money. It makes me feel worried for them. It makes me actually feel sad for them. Because one day they're gonna stand before God and he said, I let you have all of that. And what did you do? You bought a really big boat you bought a boat I gave you millions of pounds and you bought a boat you bought Beyonce to sing at your party <laughs> I gave you Spotify and you did that instead you, you bought different you bought different clothes you bought this you bought that you spent your money here there and everywhere I've got to say well it's all spent it's all gone there's none left People who spend all their money now are totally blind to what matters the most, which is eternity. This life might feel long. It is a breath, the Bible says. It's a breath compared to what is to come, which is going to last forever. If you spend all your money now, in this here and now, you'll have none then. That's clearly what the Bible says. But if you give now, the Bible says, It's sending it ahead. Proverbs says, He who gives to the poor lends to the Lord. You want to lend to God and give to the poor. You want to invest in what matters most? Jesus says, give to God. And we find this actually a little bit hard. I remember when I was first taught about eternal rewards. God's saying, Do these things now and give you something later. And I was like, no, you can't say that, Lord. I am supposed to be like totally not self-interested. Supposed to do this out of the goodness of my heart or even out of a kind of guilt of what you've done for me. Therefore, I need to do these things. And God says, no, I want to motivate you this way. Why does God want to motivate us this way? Because, again, it involves faith. It involves you saying, I will have less now. I will experience loss now because I believe in what you've said that what's to come is better. And so I'm sending it ahead now. can't take it with me, but I can send it ahead. Paul wants us excited about that. Elsewhere, he talks about getting a crown. I was watching um, the match of the day yesterday when Leicester won the Premier League title, same as like when Hearts won the championship title last year, you see these people go up to receive a reward and it's glorious and it's phenomenal and you think that looks so much fun and God is saying to you, I want to do that to you one day, I want to reward you for what you've done in this life and you think but no come on, that's like the inventor of the game and the chairman of the team who pays the team and trains the team, saying to the team, here you go, congratulations. And they're like, what are you talking about? You did all of this. But the will of God is to involve you. The will of God is to share this with you. That's on offer. Fifth thing Paul says happens, God is worshipped. Verse 18, the gifts you sent are a fragrant offering, a sacrifice pleasing and acceptable to God. Uh, you think, well, what, really? <laughs> Does cash smell? Well, cash given to God smells good. Fragrant offering and um, uh, pleasing, acceptable sacrifices, these are Old Testament words. These are Old Testament sacrifice words. You can see them in Leviticus and Exodus and Deuteronomy. It's all over there when God's talking about how you give to him and these are acts of worship and so Paul's saying that actually when you give to the church you don't just give to the church you give to the Lord your giving is an act of worship Matthew said it today you might do that might, we say it almost every week and it might sometimes just wash over you you're like well I mean are they just trying to make it sound better no because at that moment you say to God what I treasure most is you and your ways I would rather have less that you would have this. I'd rather give to you than keep it for myself. You are worshipping God in that moment. You're saying that he is good. You're saying that you trust him. You're saying that he is where your treasure is, that he is who you value. You're exalting him. Final thing that happens. Number six, God is glorified. God's glorified. Paul has all this in his mind. He's thinking... Because you gave, Philippians, the kingdom is going to advance. There are going to be people who are going to be in heaven because of you. They're going to hear the gospel. There are people who are going to be touched by the love of God because you gave. Amazing. I love that, Paul says. I'm excited about that for you. And as well as that, our relationship has been strengthened. Isn't this wonderful? We're now tighter than we were before. Even though you can't see me, you can't come to Rome to visit me. Of course you can't. We can't Skype or do anything like that. But we are together now. We're closer together again. That partnership that we've had is at work again. I love that, he says. I love that because you've given, you're going to experience God's provision in this life somehow in some way later on you're going to be like oh that was from god because i did this and that even this life whatever you experience in this life the eternity to come you're going to be like i cannot believe how much he's given me because you gave now that's in paul's mind and he's thinking and this is fragrant to god god loves this god rejoices in it paul says that's amazing you just thought you were giving some cash and all of this instead was what was going on glory to god that he who owns all things would involve you. I mean, do you think God needs your money? You think God's like, oh, goodness me, how on earth am I going to get this money that all belongs to me in the first place, where I want it? I have no idea. No, it's God's. And we've said it's worshiped to him, so it all goes back to God as well. It is from God and it's to God. I mean, he could have just worked that transaction out all by himself. But he wanted you in. He wanted you involved. He wanted your faith strengthened. He wanted a crown for you, who were his enemy, who was an antagonist rather than a protagonist, who would have wanted it for themselves. God says, I want you to see it for everyone else. That's amazing. And that is the radiance of the goodness of God, the glory of God. And so when we give, God is glorified. When we give knowing what we're doing, God is glorified. It's wonderful. It's absolutely wonderful. It's such an adventure. You see some of it happening now. One day you'll see it fully. And I just promise you on that day, you'll have not wanted to put your money anywhere else. So I want to encourage you. When you give, this is what happens. It's so amazing. I hope you enjoy it and encounter the grace of God in it. that You might glorify him. Why don't we quickly sing a song? I feel we should praise God. And um, if you're able to stand, why don't you stand? I'll just pray for us. This, by the way, is why we don't do very much fundraisers. Because I just think this is a much better reason to give. These are much better reasons to give. Isn't this wonderful? Lord, we want to thank you for your generosity to us. I want to thank you for the free offer of salvation you've given us. And to have involved us in this, that we might give, that others would hear that good news too, that others would encounter and experience the love of God in the myriad ways that we're involved in, is amazing. And we love you for it and we thank you for it. Lord, we thank you that we have close relationships with each other. Staff and non-staff, leaders, servers, volunteers, even things that we don't even necessarily have a huge, great emotional reaction to. We're actually giving to them anyway, and we're brought closer to them as we give. Lord, I want to thank you for the promise of provision now and rewards to come. Lord, I'd be happy just to give right now because it's good and right, but you offer us better. You're so generous. Lord, every time we give from now on, may it be joyful and generous, worshipful and glorifying. Amen.